0: Boom boom boom, 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 boom! 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 A side, B side. What side are you on? Hello, like Mrs. Doubtful. Hello, hello. Oh, you did that so good. Hello, hello. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of A side, B side. How's it going, Adam?
1: it is very good evidently that voice scares the bejesus out of my dog because they were directly next to me and then as soon as I did hello they got up and went over to the door to the outside
0: would like to go outside now <laughs> <laughs> they're like I don't know what that sound was but it's time to go they're like this is not happening nope nope big old nope speaking of nope I got to see that over the weekend oh yeah what well, was I've
1: I'm never going to see it. So you can spoil it for me because I don't do scary movies. His stuff is so just scary visually, but also like there's always a mental component to it too. And I think that's the stuff that sticks with me even more plus the visual. So like, that's, I've heard it's great. I just know that I will never be able to, I already don't sleep, but I'd like to sleep at some point.
0: Well, and it's really funny. My mom didn't like it, but I really liked it. Um, And like you said, there's always the mental aspect to all of his movies, like Get Out and Us and Now, Nope. And basically, well, I don't want to spoil it for everybody, but I'll tell you privately. But yes, there is definitely the mental aspect that makes you think. And, you know, he's really good at pulling in like cultural, like what's going on in society into Mm -hmm. his undercurrent, undertones in his movies. And of course, there's a lot of that in there.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it, it's so much more than just you know like slasher horror or even like you know mystical horror, or, like, or even something like uh, Stranger Things, which I love, but they're not connecting with you know modern topics in the same way that you know his his movies are.
0: Yeah, yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, I enjoyed it. I I think he does a really good job, like you said, with the um. I wouldn't necessarily say horror but the extreme psychological thriller that it is yeah
1: and there's always some there's some visual stuff that is there too to add that adds to it but it's yeah. certainly not just you know you know Freddy versus jason style right over the top
0: right daniel kaluuya does an, an amazing job i really like daniel i think he's an, an excellent actor i really think he's kind of underrated um, he's
1: kind of become like he seems to be in all of those movies or is it just that he's been in two, and that's not? But wasn't he
0: in Us too? No, he wasn't in Us. He wasn't was in Us. In, okay. He was in Get Out and um. Now and Milk. this one, okay. So, but he will be in. Um, it looks like he's going to be returning for Black Panther two or Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, mm-hmm. um, because he's on the poster. And it's so funny. The other day, the um trailer comes out. She's going to kill me for this, but it's just hilarious. So the other day, that when the trailer was coming out my mom texts me and she's like, have you seen, or she's like the trailer for Black Panther, Rakonda is coming out. And I was like, Rakonda. And she's like, oh, is it Wakanka? And I was like, it's Wakanda. (laughs) And it's already out. And I like died laughing because she went through like so many different names trying to get it. And it's like, it's Wakanda. What is Wakanka? Where's that? (laughs) Where's
1: that? Nearby, nearby. It's a little bit further west. But you know how that is. Like sometimes you get like, like there was a time when we were doing the morning show where for some inexplicable reason, I couldn't say Pacific. (laughs) And like, I knew the word, but I just could not say it. So I said like Pacific, Pacific, and like at one point said specific, like that's not even remotely close. But you know how like your brain just gets there sometimes. Like you'll be staring at a word and you're like, I know this is the but yeah. maybe it's he. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I, I totally gosh. understand. I've, I've been there. I, I, I have empathy for what your mom was going through.
0: Um, I haven't watched it. I know you've watched The Gray Man. Don't tell me, but I see there's a sequel. So my guess, my guess, don't verify it for me um, because I'm doing a movie viewing with some of the my old peeps from back in Bowling Green um, in a couple of days, but... Since I read that the sequel is coming with Ryan Gosling and the Russo brothers, but no Chris Evans. So I'm going to guess something happens to him in the movie. I mean, it's kind of like a spoiler, I feel like, but don't tell me.
1: I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. I mean, but I mean, even if something does, it's the movies. True. True. You know, you could just rewrite whatever you want. That's true. I mean, that, just speaking of Wakanda forever, like everyone online Half the people are convinced that the new Black Panther is Killmonger, even though he real dead.
0: He real dead. Yeah. Real dead.
1: Now, granted, in the MCU, you can always do like a alternate universe, you know, version. But, you know, it's people, even if you get to that point, it's like they're like they want it so bad to be true. And then there are some people that absolutely don't want it to be true. It's, it's been a very interesting like online war that's been raging for a couple of years now ever since Chadwick passed yeah. where there's this whole group of people that say the character like you if you know Ben Affleck died you wouldn't just kill off
0: Batman right
1: you know and th- but the MCU has like they wouldn't bring back Tony Stark with like Tom Cruise
0: right right you know
1: there was like that was part of the reason that there was the, the big debate whether there would be a iron man in the illuminati from a different multiverse but they were like some like their tentpole characters they're not gonna like bring back they'll change like with captain america now it's sam wilson mm-hmm. instead of you know a different steve rogers uh so it but there it's a really interesting debate because we've had what in the same time that we've had black panther we've had like four batman yeah that's true since the first appearance of Bozeman as Black Panther, we've had four guys play Batman. So I understand the the question of like, why wouldn't we just recast this character? Because it's an iconic character instead of just tied to one actor.
0: But I appreciate that the MCU does that because, I mean, I know it's fantasy. It's not real world. But that person is that character.
1: Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, I'm glad that they are not, I always feel weird when they recast stuff mm-hmm. because I, I don't think it works so many like how many of the Batman have really worked. Right. You know, it and or you like we talk about the <sighs> I talked about the mummy uh, on an episode a couple months ago. And in my brain there are only two mummy movies. There's The Mummy and The Mummy Returns because it's got Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz and the whole cast. And then I forget there's a third mummy movie where they recast Rachel Weisz's character with uh, Maria Bello called Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Empire. Brendan Fraser is still in it, but I, in my brain, I just don't even think of that as a mummy movie. It's some different movie because it just didn't work with the recasting. So it can go so bad. And I think that there are so many ways they can take the story and there is precedence within the comic book for, you know, someone else to pick up the mantle of the Black Panther, much like you know, being Green Lantern has been different people over time. So it, I, I'm interested to see which direction they go with it, but I can see both sides of the argument where people are saying, you know, this is such a big character, you should just recast and keep it as an iconic character.
0: Yeah, but I, I like how they did it with <clears throat> Captain America. It's now a new, it's a new Captain America. It's now Sam Wilson. There's nothing yes. wrong with it being a new Black Panther. <clears throat>
1: And like I said, if it like in the comics, Shiri at one time took the mantle, so they would be, it would fit absolutely within the source material. So it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. I've always wondered why we've never done the Batman version, where Batman is, you know, like Robin becomes Nightwing and then Nightwing takes up the mantle of Batman. But Nightwing's never done that really in the comics. He's always not wanted to be Batman. So I guess that makes sense. But. With all these changes, you'd think at some point there'd be the successor Batman, like uh, Jean-Paul Valley, who played Batman when Batman had his back broken by Bane. That didn't really work. So yeah, Yeah, way back when, like mid-90s. So we're talking like 27 years ago. Oh, (laughs) thanks for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Also, Facebook told us we have been friends on Facebook for 12 years today. So that seems not long enough, but also a very long time.
0: Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's that math's not math. And for me, no, we can't figure
1: that out because unless we just, and this is this is how sad it is. Like, I was like, did were we not Facebook friends before 2010? Like, did I have Facebook? Like, I know I did. Like I had Facebook all the way back to 2004 because I, I got my paralegal certification at Northeastern in Boston and I had an EDU address so I could get up. Oh
0: yeah. You could get it. And I got like, it as soon as the public could get it, but you got it early.
1: Yeah, I was on there early. And so I knew I was friends with a lot of our coworkers who were right out of college
0: mm-hmm.
1: when we were in bowling green because they had it because you know they had the EDU addresses still. Right. But I that might have been it might have been until 2010 that they expanded it to more people. I suppose there's some sort of device I could use to look up, you know, when <laughs> Facebook expanded past edu addresses if, if only there was some some like some, like a computer
0: of some sort like imagine know.
1: that okay so i it happened in uh let's see here 2007 i guess so 2006 2007 so there's no way we weren't friends in 2007 when i left
0: no, we were. We had to abandon. We were.
1: We, yeah, we definitely were Facebook. So, welcome to the uh, A side B side recap of our social media lifetime. Uh, it's been really interesting, I'm sure, for everyone who's listened. Oh
0: my gosh! Um, I forgot what I was going to say. So, what have you seen? What have you done? Uh,
1: I've been watching the new Blackbird series with Tarn It's Edgerton. So good. So amazingly good. Like I was. I was not. Like, I really like Tarn Edgerton. I really was worried it was going to be way too dark. Uh, And it's very psychological. There's some violence there. You know, it's a jail. So there's going to be some of that stuff. There's some very, like, it's very raw. Like, Mm -hmm. some of the conversations that they have had are deeply disturbing. Yes. Uh, But it's so well done. And the fact that, like, so i not really heard of it by far. I'll follow uh, Tarn Edgerton on Instagram. So he's been, like... Posting like behind the scenes pictures for like a year and a half, Mm -hmm. and he had to get like really super ripped, like like play this character. I mean, like buff. Yeah, like he like is you know like the rock level muscles on muscles. And I was like, I don't even know what this movie is about, but I'm like, this is like, I like this guy from like Elton John, and even in like The Kingsman, he's not like super ripped. Like I'm like, what is this gonna be? And I thought maybe it was gonna be like a wrestling movie or something, you know. But uh, it's, it's so, so good. Um, so I'm very excited. I, I had a friend who talked me into watching that. And so we've been watching that. And I've, I'm still behind at the last episode.
0: I, I have got to finish the last episode. I started watching it the other day. And um, I can't remember what happened. But yeah, I've got to finish that last episode. But his co-star, um, the guy that was in, um, oh, come on. The, the um, Olympics
1: movie he played, yeah, the guy, yeah, yeah. He played Richard Jewell.
0: Richard Jewell, yes. Yeah. The guy that plays Richard Jewell, he's in this, and oh my gosh, he is so underrated.
1: Oh, it's it's amazing. That the scene in episode three where they're sitting in the laundry room and talking. I mean, I'm just thinking about it right now. Uh-huh. It gives me chills It makes me uncomfortable. But that should be studied from an acting standpoint. Yes. It, it is so raw. It's just two people sitting on a bench in a room talking, but the power, I mean, it, it reminded me of, of, like, I felt like I was on stage feet from them watching it and feeling that level of like tension and connection and just your skin crawling. And just, it is amazing. Uh, if they don't get nominated for some awards, like that's the trouble with like, I don't get the Emmys calendar, so maybe this will be in next year's Emmys, which will happen in June or July. Yeah. And it'll be like a full year since this came out. Uh, but it's, it's so well
0: done. His name is Paul Walter Hauser. And I mean, like, yeah, he was great in Richard Jewell. But Richard Jewell was kind of, um, I don't want to say doofy, goofy, but he was. Yeah. But this character that he plays, and it is based on a true story, he plays Larry Hall. And Larry Hall makes you think he's doofy-goofy, but there's way more to him in this. And Paul, he does a great job with this.
1: And it's, it's one of those things where I'm only, like, I don't, I've purposely not looked up the story. I, you know, like, cause I don't want to spoil the ending cause I know it's a real life story. Mm-hmm. But to take a real life story and make you ask questions the entire time, yeah, like we're we're in the middle of a three of a six six episode, so I've made it through three, and we're at the point now where everyone in the movie, even the characters who are were convinced of one thing, are now is not as convinced. Yeah, and because there's just so much that is confusing, and it's like, do you really believe this? Do you not believe it? And it is an incredibly well done that where you find these characters that are pretty irredeemable. And also there's a, a great performance by Ray Liotta, uh, you know, as uh, Tara Nerish Edgerson's father, who's an ex cop, and also kind of a disaster
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, just wonderful performances all around, but it's, I am very excited to see where they take it. Uh, so I've, I've been watching that. Uh, I've also, again, for, you know, it's been a six months. So I've started my rewatch of *Midsummer Murders just started um a, through season two already uh because the first couple seasons they're only like three or four episodes so you know they're like an hour hour and a half long each but you could burn through them pretty quick uh so i got caught up on all those uh, i'm through season four of covert affairs uh and i've been like binge watching <sighs> movies i plus i was uh you know with things changing with my fun job. I now just have my regular job. My regular job has really flexible hours. So like night and day doesn't mean anything anymore. Cause I don't have to start at one time or end at another. I just get the work done, you know, eight hours a day, get it done sometime. So I'm back to like quarantine levels of just binge watching stuff and staying up till 4am Then sleeping till like 10 and starting again. Uh, so I feel like I've watched way, way too much stuff in the last couple of weeks, but, uh, that did lead to, uh, reminding you know a story reminding me of uh what led to today's a side as well so it's 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 got its benefits
0: oh all right all right um excuse me now because i do know the story of larry hall and and jimmy um jimmy what's his name jimmy keen I'm not going to tell you the end, but I do know it because I ended up hearing it about it on one of my favorite podcasts, My Favorite Murder. So Yeah,
1: it's definitely been out there, right? It's <laughs> it's, it's it's a known story.
0: So. so that was like, when I found out that that's what this story was, I was like, oh my gosh. Because when I heard about it, I was like, this is so interesting. But anyway. And um,
1: Tarn Edgerton actually, like he was a driving force behind this thing getting made because he was so interested in the story as well. Really? and. For that, from what I read, is like he's the one who got Paul uh, Thomas Towser
0: on board. Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. And so he's been he's been behind it the whole time, in some way, shape, or form.
0: That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's pretty
1: cool. I think. He, I think let me check. it I'm using one of those internet things because I think he was also like part one of the producers of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But I didn't realize it was a, a real story because I saw that the uh, author Dennis Lehane, who's a fiction writer, right? As well, um, I don't know. I thought that he was connected with it, and I, so I thought it was a fiction, yeah. Oh. He's, he's a like a, he's a novel fiction writer, who, okay. You know, he did Gone Baby Gone, Shutter Island, uh, would have been adapted to film Mystic River. So, I literally. I, don't know that I realized at first that it was a real story because he's done so many similar stories that were fiction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, um, he's involved and he's doing a great job. Everybody's, everybody's doing a great job.
1: Yeah. It's it's super interesting. And I, like I said, I'm I'm very excited to, to see where it goes. Um, And I guess now that I know it's a real life story, I won't hold that for season two.
0: Oh well, yeah, <laughs> limited edition, limited, yeah, limited series. But well, speaking of murders, should we uh, jump into this thing and do the B side?
1: Let's do the B side. All
0: right. This week we are discussing um, the twenty-two caliber killer, A.K.A. the Midtown slasher, Joseph Christopher. Now, this is one that I'm really surprised I didn't know about before, um, because he's from Buffalo. Oh, yeah. He was born in Buffalo on July 26th of 1955, which could potentially play into why I don't know him. Yeah, it was a a little bit before your time time, and also
1: possibly not something everyone's like, hey, you hear about this horrible thing that happened?
0: Yeah, yeah. He was the only son born to Therese Hurley uh, and Nicholas Christopher. His mom was a registered nurse at Deaconess Hospital and his dad was a maintenance worker with the city sanitation department until his death in 1976, he was the only son, but he had sisters. So he had two older sisters and one younger sister. Um, He grew up in a predominantly Italian neighborhood. He was an outdoorsman and a hunter. Um, Nicholas was his dad and he taught his son all of the things that he liked to do just like dads and sons do. He he, He taught Joseph how to handle weapons at a really young age. And apparently Joseph really developed a passion for the outdoors and it kind of exceeded all of his other interests. He actually helped his dad build a three-room cabin on a plot of land that his dad had purchased in Ellington, New York. Joseph absolutely adored his father, Nicholas. He enrolled at an an automotive mechanics program at Burgard Vocational High School in 1971. And like we hear a lot, he was remembered as the quiet shy type who did really well in school he actually did really well in his shop classes but then he dropped out of school in early 1974 um he was said to be very intelligent but not quite so book smart
1: so more like good with his hands you know, yeah. mechanic smart versus you know maybe you know literature smart
0: exactly so after he drops out he does a bunch of odd jobs um Even trying to enlist in the army, but he was rejected due to a hernia. In 1977, he took a job as a security guard at Buffalo's American Brass Company. This is an unarmed job, and he had that job. And then he ended up getting a job as a maintenance man at Canisius College, where he Mm. shared the midnight shift with a coworker. Well, while there, he fell in love with a gun instructor, and he joined the NRA and applied for an NRA pistol instructor certificate. Now. His job's maintenance. Okay, yeah. He got in trouble at work for having a weapon on his person.
1: Yeah, you don't need that to, to mop the floors.
0: No. In late 19- mean, you-
1: Dust bunnies are not armed.
0: He's like, I'm going to get you dust bunnies.
1: <laughs> I mean, we've all been frustrated. They're
0: everywhere. Right. So in late 1978, he and his instructor ended their relationship. And as we have seen before, this was just the the catalyst the straw that broke the camel's back this is just what sets him off and his troubling behavior begins did they he, have any
1: uh detail about his instructor no. a male female oh
0: it was a female female okay so he and a coworker get into uh, get into it over what he thought was a stolen knife it was a knife that he ended up finding under the seat of his truck he'd accused Ooh, his coworker of stealing it story. yeah uh-huh That's always
1: awkward. Oh, I can't believe you took that from me. Oh, never mind. It's here.
0: Never mind. It was in my truck the whole time. So after getting into trouble over that, he ends up getting fired in 1979, March of 1979, for sleeping on the job. So he goes back home to live with his parents.
1: That's tough not to sleep on the job, though, when it's night shift. I mean, I've worked some night shift jobs and I can see how people fall asleep. I mean, I don't because sleep for me sucks, but some people really like sleep.
0: I I, I'm one of those that really likes sleep so yes I would absolutely not want to work a night job because I would fall asleep not gonna lie I get sleepy during the day at work so I know I fall asleep (laughs) at night
1: (laughs) well a lot of night jobs there's just like nothing happening you're just especially like maintenance or security where like there's just nobody else around so like the temptation is so high like I just lay down here for 20 minutes it'll be fine yeah
0: So because he's kind of jobless and kind of homeless because he's back home living with his parents, he starts drinking and, um, oh, and he had his gun permit suspended after um, informing authorities that he'd lost his gun. So now he's, remember, we had the knife incident. Now we've Mm -hmm. got the gun incident. He's like, huh, by the way, I lost my gun. (laughs)
1: I mean, that's something that you do want to, I would assume, share, but also pretty embarrassing.
0: Uh, Yeah. So Joseph Christopher, who had been diagnosed previously as a paranoid schizophrenic, reached out looking for mental mental health help because he noticed, all right, um, things are not going so well. Um, He tried to actually admit himself to the Buffalo Psychiatric Center in September of 1980. The staff there told him yeah, you're not really a danger to yourself or others. So they wouldn't admit him. Things have definitely changed. Definitely changed since then. Yeah. I mean,
1: to an extent, there are still stories of, you know, places will, like, you know, send people out that they probably shouldn't. Yeah. If there's no like actual active you know, litigation or you know anything like that, or crimes that have been already committed. But somebody says, I think I might do it. That's usually not enough.
0: So instead of, um, instead of admitting him, officials there recommend therapy, just counseling. So after he leaves the center, about two weeks later is when his spree begins.
1: Mm. Now remember. Yeah, a missed opportunity that we've seen so many times.
0: Uh-huh. So he goes to the center, like I said, in September of 1980. He begins his spree September 22nd of 1980 when he killed three black men and one boy in the space of 36 hours with a 22 caliber sawed off Ruger 1022 semi-automatic rifle that he had hidden in a brown paper bag, which is why he gets the name 22 caliber killer. So the first victim was a 14 year old boy named Glenn Dunn, who was shot outside of a supermarket on september 22nd and i hate that i researched this story before the supermarket mm-hmm. um massacre and now like reading that i'm just like oh
1: yeah it makes your stomach sink.
0: so the next victim harold green who's 32 was shot the very next day at a fast food restaurant in chitawaga which is basically down the road yeah, so suburb style basically yeah yeah that same evening back in buffalo 30 year old emmanuel thomas was shot while crossing the street to his house which was only seven blocks away from where the first victim glenn dunn had been shot Jeez. on september Just pick,
1: tw- picking people at random there doesn't, this- doesn't seem to be any yeah yeah
0: So on September 24th, so we're within, like I said, that 36-hour time frame, Joseph McCoy was shot to death in Niagara Falls. So Niagara Falls from Buffalo technically is about 30 minutes, Niagara Falls, the American side of Niagara Falls and Buffalo, they're about a 30-minute drive. So the murders resulted in Buffalo's Black community complaining about the extreme lack or basically the non-existent police protection in the area
1: Mm -hmm. so of
0: course there was fear that had rose about a paramilitary white supremacist group that was sweeping into the area so a task force was formed to investigate the deaths so on october 8th and october 9th he commits two more murders he bludgeons his victims to death and then this is really graphic so this is a warning he murders his victims and he takes out their heart.
1: Whoa! We just went like Raiders a lot. No, Temple of Doom.
0: Yeah, yeah, he escalated so much. The body, the body, the body, the mutilated body of seventy-one-year-old Parlor Edwards was found in the trunk of his taxi cab in Amherst, which is where i where I live, mm-hmm. on October eighth. Forty-year-old Ernest Jones was found in a very similar. Condition beside the Niagara River in Tonawanda on October 9th. Ernest Jones' taxi was found with blood splatter all over, and it was found in Buffalo, three miles away from uh, the Niagara River, where his body was found. Colin Cole was attacked in Buffalo in a hospital on October 10th. A white male that matched the description of Joseph Christopher. had been described at this point they didn't know who he was he was just at this point the 22 caliber killer Mm -hmm. tried to strangle him to death colin cole said the man snarled i hate and the n-word
1: oh so here we come with the motivation or something
0: yeah the motive he snarled that as he was trying to strangle him to death the only thing that saved colin cole is a nurse showed up but severe damage was done to his throat even though he survived the attack so this is where john douglas joins in the efforts trying to catch the 22 caliber killer joseph christopher now if you're big into true crime which hopefully you are because you're listening you know john douglas is an fbi profiler like the like he's like the fbi profiler oh okay So the initial murders went completely unsolved and Joseph Christopher is somehow able to this time when he tries to enlist, get into the army. He enlists in November of 1980. He ends up being stationed at Fort Benning and, you know, come holiday time, he ends up getting some time off for Christmas and he goes to Manhattan. He goes, he arrives in Manhattan on December 20th and well, about two days later, he commits four more murders and two attacks. This time he, he changes up his motive and he stabs his victims to death. Hence his nickname, the Midtown slasher, Midtown Manhattan. knife. So 25 year old John Adams was stabbed around 1130 AM. He survived. But about two hours later, his next victim, 32-year-old Ivan Frazier, was attacked. He somehow was able to deflect the blade with his hand and only suffered minor injuries. Luis Rodriguez was the first murder victim of the day. He's only 19 years old, and that happened about 3.30 p.m., where he was stabbed to death. The next victim comes just about three hours later at 6.50. 30-year-old Anton Davis was stabbed to death. Then about 10 o'clock, 1030 that night, comes the next victim, 20-year-old Richard Renner, stabbed to death. And then Carl Ramsey, about 11 p.m. So, I mean, he was like, boom, 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 boom. Carl the Ramsey- Full
1: full day's work.
0: Yeah. Man. He's stabbed with a knife on the subway around 11, and he dies from his injuries before midnight. So he goes from New York City back to Buffalo, And well, it's not like he went back just for a visit to his family. He had to do something in the meantime. So Mm -hmm. he fatally stabs another black male, 31-year-old Roger Adams on December 29th. And on December 30th, he stabs and kills Wendell Barnes in Rochester. He commits three more attacks in Buffalo on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Uh, Albert Menifee, Larry Little, and Calvin Crippen. Fortunately, all three victims survive. Joseph Christopher: So in the
1: span of what, From the 22nd through the first, what is that like, 12 days? Uh-huh. He, how many people was that, nine? It was
0: about like, yeah. Nine attacks is that Yeah. Insane. Insane. So he goes back to Fort Benning and while back on base, Joseph Christopher attacks a black soldier, Leonard Coles, with a paring knife in what's described as a completely unprovoked attack on January 18th. Fortunately, Leonard Coles survives and he's able to identify Joseph Christopher, who is then uh, arrested and placed in the Fort Stockade, where he tries to kill himself with a razor. In a psychiatric uh, session, he told a psychiatrist that he quote had to kill blacks. This admission caused Christopher's home near Buffalo to be searched by police. It was in his home that police found evidence that linked him to three murders, including large quantities of 22 caliber ammo, a gun barrel, and a sawed off Ruger 10 rifle. This evidence and his confession uh, led to his indictment in april of 1981 on the 22 caliber shootings plus the stabbings he was also indicted in new york in the midtown slasher attacks he was transferred back to buffalo for his trial on may 8th he pleads not guilty to the three murders um, uh-huh he waived his right to a jury trial and he refused counsel by attorneys that his mom had um hired because he wanted to represent himself.
1: Oh man, that's just that never works out well for these guys.
0: He was later found incompetent to stand trial and he was found guilty and sentenced to 60 years in prison, but the ruling was actually overturned because the trial judge had barred the defense from pre- presenting expert um testimony about his ability to stand trial so later he is actually found competent to stand trial and goes back to court again in 1985 so this is five years later
1: it's forever yeah it was a long appeals process
0: so he goes back to court and he's convicted of first degree murder and he's sentenced to 60 years to life Uh, he was he was sent to the attica which we've heard of Attica because there was mm-hmm. the, the big riot there. He was uh, sent to the Attica Correctional Facility. And while there, he claimed that he had committed 13 murders. Joseph Christopher died on March 1st of 1993 at the age of 37 from male breast cancer. Oh, wow. There's a twist into that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> he also, like I said, he admitted to the 13 um he admitted to the media as well. Like while he was in prison, he admitted that to the media. The th- he he confessed the 13 of the 17 attacks that he's responsible for.
1: I It's interesting that I don't know if this has happened before where we saw somebody really just completely have two different methods.
0: Typically not because right.
1: usually they can... stick with what they're good at.
0: Yeah. I don't know if maybe a knife was a lot more, um, Personal because you have to like have that personal rage to stab somebody. Well, and like, he's got that hatred in his heart.
1: He was on vacation in New York. It's probably, you know, probably easier a lot easier to go buy a knife than it is to buy a gun. Yeah. Even, you know, 1970 or 1980.
0: Yeah, true. True. Um, the Discovery Channel uh show the FBI files did a story on Joseph Christopher that originally aired May 9th of 2000 It was titled the uh, the 22 caliber killer and criminal minds in season 12 the episode in the dark the inspiration for unsub Trey Gordon was Joseph Christopher he was a spree killer with a dad that hunted and he committed crimes after his father's death So, do you
1: remember in uh, Galaxy Quest where the aliens would talk about the historical records that they would list? They would watch, and they were all just like TV shows that have been beamed out into space. Yes, I feel like in a weird way, when it comes to like true crime, Criminal Minds is this like show of historical record because it feels like every single person we talk about is has you know has been featured or influenced one of those episodes,
0: right? Well, it kind, I kind—I kind of feel like it's like SVU, like it happens, and then they're like, "Oh, we've got some more material." They're never going to run out of material because there's going to be crazy people that yeah, do I, crazy stuff. I, we're
1: at—we're at one episode 103, so <laughs> we're we're close to running out of anything.
0: Right. But there you go. That is the story of the 22 caliber killer, aka the Midtown slasher, aka Buffalo Zone. We're not claiming him. Uh, no. Joseph Christopher. And
1: I mean, I maybe there, it was something that they would have come up more in in <sighs> the trial, or but the fact that there doesn't really seem to be a like he mentioned hating black people, but there's no like that wasn't something that popped up earlier in his life that was obvious, or you know, maybe it was just not something that people thought to think about at the same.
0: Yeah, point. I don't really. There was no real catalyst for it. He just, his relationship ended. And then it was all like, oh, I hate Black people. Yeah. Oh. Uh,
1: and like, there was no stories of him. You know, we, we see, you know, what do we always talk about? Like some of the trigger, like the uh, common things that we see in youth, like, you know, hurting animals or being yeah. abused. No. Like, that doesn't seem to be here either.
0: No. So. Um, but he is no longer with us. Good riddance.
1: Can't say I miss it.
0: (laughs) But there you go. That's
1: the B side. So for the A side today, I mentioned a little bit earlier that I have been back into almost full quarantine level of uh, media consumption. And one thing that has popped out in the last week that's been really interesting is on Disney Plus, the first two R-rated Marvel movies,
0: yeah. Deadpool been. and Deadpool 2.
1: Uh Deadpool and Logan. Logan, that's it. Because I don't because I, I don't think Deadpool 2 is on there yet. There's something with the rights that it still hasn't moved over, but Logan and Deadpool. And there's been a lot of controversy. There are parents groups that are like protesting Disney for having R-rated movies on what should be a child like a child-friendly platform. And then my brain is just like, change dude, you your can put settings. Or, you can Jeez. change your settings. Like, do you know it's easier to just I don't know make sure your kid can't watch them by changing your settings than it is to go to a protest. Right. But you know, it's, I, it's a I get streaming
0: processed. service. They're out to make money. Yeah. And
1: they have given you the tools with which to protect your family. If you do not wish those things, you can, t- you can turn it all the way down to just G movies if you want to. Right. Like, like you have the, they have given you the control. And you just have to do something. And instead you want to go protest, which Hey, what? protesting is a valid, but are there are better things to protest than this.
0: It's really funny too because when they released them, they said, Hey, you might want to revisit those settings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They knew that this was going. They were like, hey, this is this is different. We're going to be we're going to be super upfront about it. We're going to tell everybody. We're going to like, you know, here are, how do you do it? And people just you know, got mad at the systems instead of, you know, using. It's the same thing when people get mad at, well, it's not the same, but it's similar to me when people get mad at certain advertisements that pop up on social media when you could just go to the top right and click not relevant or don't show me this ad again and then you'll never see it again. You have the power to control your thing, but the people are always like, oh, I keep seeing all these ads in my feed. It was like, then say no.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Say so you want, you know, you'll only get the ads you want. And if you don't want any ads, then pay for a different service. Right. But it reminded me, And it actually didn't remind me. It made me think. And I was like, okay, those are the first R-rated Marvel movies. But the way that it kept being talked about is this is the first, and this is a thing that's kind of, you know, tweaked me about Deadpool as well. Since it came out, they're like this is the first R-rated comic book movie. And I was like, I don't think that's right. And I started doing a little bit of research and I was trying to figure out if there had been another one, because it, There are so many movies that are made off of comic books that aren't Batman, Superman, Deadpool. They're not like the costume characters. There are Mm -hmm. way more graphic novels and and that sort of thing. And I was like, there's just no way this hasn't happened before. Now, granted, maybe it wasn't a big name, maybe it wasn't a costume character, but there has to have been some film that was comic book inspired, which was R. And I kept finding ones that were like PG 13. And maybe, maybe there isn't. And then uh, a couple nights ago. As I am scrolling through uh, the various streaming platforms looking for something to watch, uh, as I've got three TVs on and I've got Midsummer Murders running in one quarter. And then there's been so much soccer that started between friendlies and the the Women's Euro Cup that is is happening. uh, And then the local Minnesota Aurora team, which is like a semi pro soccer team, was in the championship last week. So there's so much to watch. But I really wanted to just kind of escape. And find some sort of silly action movie that I could watch and just willingly suspension of disbelief and kind of just check out for 90 minutes. And because this has always been an Angelina Jolie podcast, (laughs) a lot of my, Uh a lot of my streaming platforms suggest Angelina Jolie movies to me. And I've seen pretty much every single one of them, Uh, but one that I hadn't seen in a very long time and how, it popped up and the same thing happened when I was watching covert affairs and covert affairs has like the opening where it made me think like with the graphics and the production value that that was from like 2002 1998 it was from 2010 which totally threw me off but it's amazing how much just film styles and quality of filming and like digitization has changed just in 15 years which I guess I shouldn't shouldn't shock me I mean if you compare you know star wars which came out in you know like even return of the jedi which came out in 1981 versus independence day which came out 15 years later in 1996 special effects changed a lot Mm -hmm. in 15 years so it shouldn't shock me that things have changed so much uh but some of these older movies from the i think we call them the odds right the first decade of the 2000s, (laughs) right that ever i don't think that ever caught on but we're calling them the odds or we were supposed to uh look very different and i saw this pop up and i was like okay I remember when this movie came out and it feels ancient. So I started watching and it's 2008's Wanted, which it turns out is based, albeit quite loosely, on a comic book series and is rated R. So it fits the comic book inspired movie that is rated R, Uh but clearly not what people would probably consider a comic book movie. Uh, It was a comic book miniseries written by Mark Millar and J.G. Jones. And in that, there was a lot more super villain-esque stuff that kind of got pulled out for more just sort of a straight action movie. But in 2008, uh, when the movie got uh, optioned, they were looking at all sorts of A-list actors to play the hero, the hero uh, Wesley, who is this, you know, the movie almost starts off in a feel of office space or the office scenes from uh, Fight Club, where you're just clearly living this Downtrodden, cubicle i hate everything life uh and it's almost like if you took the you know like what the guy in uh in office space the main character just decides not to go to work anymore uh you kind of get the same feeling in this one but everything is so much worse uh james mcavoy who this was really his first big movie role Mm -hmm. and it's it's weird to look back because now he's been like like you do not you would not look at McAvoy and be like, I don't know if you could pull off an action movie or something really intense. Like, we've had Splice, where he is just super creepy, or no, Split, Split, right. where he's not super split. creepy, yeah, Split. Uh, he was, you know, he's been uh Dr. Charles Xavier in the X Men movies, uh, but this is right way back when, when his biggest movie role was Mr. Tumnus. From uh, Lion Wish in the Wardrobe, the,
0: chron- the Chronicles of
1: Narnia, Chronicles yeah. of Narnia. So, Mr. Tumnus is not what you would call an archetype of an action hero character. And you, so, the fact that somebody went from playing Mr. Tumnus to being the lead in an action movie uh, is really interesting. And the and the character at the beginning is very much like Mr. Tumnus. Very, he's sort of overwrought and nervous, and so like he's he's got anxiety and he has all these panic attacks, mm-hmm. and he's this guy who's constantly getting you know picked on by his his uh, his boss at work who's kind of like the the evil version of the somebody's got a case of the mondays lady from uh, office space and not only that but his best friend who is played by an an impossibly young chris pratt uh chris pratt well before his star lord days i uh, forgot the, he
0: was in that
1: he 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 plays his best friend, and I'm using air quotes on a podcast, but you can tell them by voice, I said best friend with air quotes uh, because his best friend keeps leaving the office to go to appointments, then going home and having sex with Wesley's girlfriend. So his girlfriend is cheating on him with his best friend. His boss is yelling at him all the time. He's having panic attacks left and right. He hates his life, Mm -hmm. and he's pretty much an absolute loser. And the idea that at one point they wanted a-list actors like you know somebody like tom cruise to play this role would never have worked yeah it only works because james mcavoy doesn't look like an action hero he looks mm-hmm. like somebody who could get picked on all the time he's not i mean he's a he's a very attractive guy but he's not brad pitt he's not right. tom cruise he's not right. like you know leading man a classic leading man look I and mean, that's why it works so well that he can play somebody like mr Tumnus all the way to you know Professor Charles Xavier up to you know the guy in split where he's a psycho killer with multiple personalities he's got
0: what is he Pam Pat Pat yeah Pat yeah
1: that was Patricia or Patricia or something yeah
0: Patricia yeah
1: Patricia um, so you know very good that's another one where like I've watched it a couple times it's not one I can re-watch but it was so good but also like ah, I don't want Patricia showing up in dreams <laughs> <laughs> not a good time. Uh, So it starts out with this completely overwrought loser of a guy who then finds out that his father, who left when he was a baby, was an international assassin. And he finds this out because he's sitting in a bar and Angelina Jolie, who is... At the height of her, you know, early popularity, this is when she's coming off of the the Laura Croft films and still doing all the action, really before she went into, you know, the second half of her career, where she tried to get away from more action films and do more art pieces, but this is the height of Angelina Jolie, the action star, and the fact that Wesley, who looks like this guy that you know will never get promoted at work, is has Angelina Jolie's character Fox comes up to him uh, in the bar and picks him up is pretty much the most unbelievable part of the movie uh and this is a movie that has spinning bullets at some point um she picks him up tells him that there are people trying to kill him because his father was an assassin so he's got to join this entire group of assassins called the fraternity which in a weird way is a horrible name but also kind of perfect because everyone thinks they want to join a fraternity but some Mm -hmm. for a lot of people it doesn't turn out real well in my experience uh but some people love it so uh, it's interesting um the fraternity is a group of international assassins that is headed by Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you saw that Morgan Freeman was in this movie, you knew at some point he was going to be like the puppet master, the string, the, the wise old man, and probably going to be at a place with a lot of books for some reason, right. because in every movie he's, he's in a library talking about, like, it's always like, like a throwback to masterpiece theater or something or a, or a nod to Sh- the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Freeman runs an entire group of assassins uh, who are just all kind of over the top. Uh, Morgan Freeman is known simply as Mr. Sloan. Uh, You've got Common, uh, the rapper, singer, actor who plays the gunsmith, who is uh, basically someone who just is a professional gunman who trains people how to use weapons. You've got uh, a guy called the Exterminator, who is an expert in explosives, but Use, loves to deliver explosives by using rats and sending rats in. Yes, <laughs> medical, I remember that. Which feels like a subplot to the Teenage Ninja Turtles cartoon uh, way back in the day. So maybe they, they stole it from there. Uh, there's another character played by Mark Warren known as the Repair Man, who's an assassin who breaks people's bad habits basically by just beating them up. So as soon as he joins the fraternity, the Repairman comes and just starts beating the heck out of him. Uh, and it's very violent it's kind of gory it is clearly an r-rated action movie Uh, and you go through the whole sort of building up of the character wesley sucks at everything at first now he's trying to get better and there's the one thing that he can't really do Uh, and there are some really incredible you know special effects and fights he's incredible for 2008 it's a lot a little bit different now you know 15 years later, uh, what we, what we could do with CGI. And I already there are several scenes where you could say, well, that's clearly CGI, but there's a lot of fun scenes. And even Roger Ebert in his review said there's maybe five minutes of the movie that don't feel like they have special effects and it's mm. just nonstop, but it is exactly what I wanted at that moment. When I sat down and said, I need to escape. And it, from the moment that Wesley gets recruited all the way through the end of the movie, it's basically pedal to the metal action little bit of story but so many like fun scenes like where they're training on top of a running train or the fact that they decide to assassinate a guy by being on top of an L train in Chicago that drives by this guy's uh, business and then shooting him from the top of the train when they're clearly very obvious to anyone Mm -hmm. in the world uh, that there's two people on top of the train Uh, it is an absolute need to suspend all disbelief Right. Uh, especially when it becomes to the the big sort of MacGuffin action move that they keep, you know, foreshadowing throughout the the movie, and that's the ability to basically shoot around corners by using the torque of your arm to create some sort of momentum that you can you can curve the path of a bullet. I never took physics because I figured out that there was only two science requirements to graduate high school at my high school. Cause they hadn't updated the syllabus in a long time. And I actually read it and everybody else was taking three years of science, but I realized I didn't have to, and I could just take an extra study hall. So I didn't. So I've never taken physics, but <laughs> ha- even never having taken physics, I'm pretty sure you cannot physically by swinging your arm, create a curved path of a bullet. Uh, it know. is, I, I don't know, I'm never gonna try it, uh, but I feel like that's very unlikely. Uh, and this MacGuffin becomes the, you know, kind of thing that, that you know is gonna pop up at the end. Uh, and this the story of the fraternity, and again, this is a 15 year old movie, so forgive me if I'm about to spoil some of the plot points. I've gotten this far without really doing much of that, so you're welcome, but now it's gonna get spoiled. The fraternity gets their targets, By looking at a loom, an ancient printing press, and every once in a while, one of the stitches is off. But if you examine those stitches, it's a binary code which will give you the name of the next target. Which is almost that part. Yes, I had forgotten that too, because it's incredibly absurd. As there's a secret organization which has been listening to a weaving loom for a thousand years as the way to get their tar- targets. That's why they missed out on Hitler and Stalin and those guys, because his name never came up in the loom. Uh, but random people do. So the you know, idea of this whole fraternity basically trusting a magical loom to create the list of the people they kill is another one of the completely unbelievable uh, levels of the movie. And then we find out later that perhaps The loom has been, uh, you know, the person who, who, you know, Mr. Sloan, played by Morgan Freeman, is the one who always does the binary code to find out the name, and he may have been changing it over time. So they get to the, you know, sort of climax of the movie, and you find out that Mr. Sloan has just been using the fraternity to kill the people that he wants to kill and not killing the people that were, whose names actually came up on the loom, and they've been lied to this whole time. And so we come to the final scene where you've got our hero, Wesley and Fox and everyone in the fraternity has been told they have to kill Fox because all of their names came up at one point or another. But Mr. Sloan said, I didn't tell you that you should kill each other because I didn't want you to die. And we're doing the right thing and we're killing you know, the bad guys. All, right. all standing in a circle. And then I know this is not possible. Maybe you could slightly impact the flight of a bullet with the motion of your arm a little bit Mm -hmm. but in the you know sort of ultimate sacrifice moment where Angelina Jolie who evidently according to reports was the one who fought for this uh, inclusion for her character Uh, she plays Fox who's sort of the mentor but also has been an assassin for years and but believes that they were killing the right people. Uh, and it wasn't being used as you know, some sort of nefarious thing. It was, you know, they were actually killing the people the loom told them to. She trusts the loom. She finds out that she's probably been killing innocent people because they were names that Sloan just decided on, because he was getting paid, perhaps, as opposed to the Loom, and says, My character, if she found that out would then decide to take, you know, would take her own life as well because of the guilt of killing innocent people. Which mm-hmm. is an interesting way to look at it. But in the in the ultimate, you know, moment, and again, spoiler alert, not only does she curve a bullet just a little bit to go around a corner or to you know avoid it hanging uh, you know half of a pig as they show several times in the training montage. She fires a bullet which goes in an imperfect circle, taking out the all of the bad guys except Wesley uh and mr sloan who dodges it and escapes and gets away uh which that's where we came we would pass the this is slightly unbelievable point to the totally unbelievable however they've been sh- showing you know superhuman abilities throughout the movie were running and jumping and shooting from like two miles away so probably should have seen it coming and you knew that they were leading up to it with the constant curved bullet you know stuff that how important they made it in the lead up but it almost like i remember watching it even in 2008 when i was but a young under 30s person where i felt like that was just a little little too far mm-hmm. but also a very cool visual I mean, it, it, they do a lot of sort of the following of bullets with the camera and a lot of that CGI, which was you know something that really hadn't been done a whole lot. It reminded me a lot of how I felt when I first saw The Matrix and how they dealt with bullet time where everything would slow down and you'd see different uh, you know aspects of, of the battle and where the you know, bullets were flying and things. So that was a really interesting filming technique, but I do feel like the to have that be your, your Big moment at the end just pushed it just a little too far. Uh, there's a great little, uh, you know, tag at the end where uh, it sets it up for a sequel that'll probably never be made because we're 15 years out. Uh, at this point, I mean, look
0: uh, at Top Gun
1: that's true. I mean, it could, it could, and everybody's still around. Uh, McAvoy might just need to check in a few years. Uh, and he's the only one in the from the script who's still around in living, although it's Hollywood, they could bring somebody back if they wanted. Uh, so. Wanted uh, made, was made for about $50 million. uh 75 million sorry which is amazing considering the amount of cgi isn't it that yeah, probably goes to the fact yeah. they didn't get a huge a-list actor for the main role i'm sure angelina was probably the most expensive actor on the film uh you don't think gross... I, yeah one of the two of that because they both made more than than mcavoy i'm sure because yeah. this is well before he was he was a name uh even one of the the you know a lot of the reviews were like this unknown you know james mcavoy who's now we you know he's I don't know if everyone knows his name, but you certainly recognize his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ended up making $342 million, so almost uh, five times, or four four to five times its uh, total budget in films. It was not the number one movie its its weekend though. Uh, WALL-E actually beat it out, uh, which is a crazy callback to think that WALL-E's been around for 15 years, and we have done nothing to stop our society from becoming the one in WALL-E uh, in that 15 years. Uh, we will be Watching TVs on floating uh, recliners very soon, I think.
0: Yes, we will.
1: Uh, but at that point, it was the highest rated debut for an R rated movie in June ever. And June is usually blockbuster movie month, but blockbuster movies in June, July, not like summer blockbusters, notoriously avoid R ratings because you want to be able to get the high school kids and the families and more people into the movies. So it was a pretty big deal. So it's a little bit shocking that they haven't revisited it, even though it had a You know, pretty solid ending that only gave a little bit of room, Mm -hmm. Uh, but, you know, you could always have another, you know, another group of fraternity members that now have to avenge it and boom, you got a sequel. It seems like a pretty easy one that, you know, anybody could write, Uh, but maybe that's why they haven't done it. Uh, But it is... Considered a fairly well reviewed movie. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 71% on the tomometer or the tomato meter, depending on how you'd like to pronounce it. The audience score is 69%. The critics' consensus is it is a stylish, energetic popcorn movie with witty performances from Angelina Jolie, James McAvoy, and Morgan Freeman that help to distract from the absurdly over-the-top plot. And I agree completely. Uh, It is a movie that Roger Ebert then called will probably be made into a video game if it isn't already. That's also kind of a surprise because it seems like it would be a perfect, uh, easily adaptable first-person shooter video game. Uh, But we've got plenty of those anyway. But you can check out Wanted on almost all of the... Streaming platforms. So I'm getting to my thing here, and it? so it's on. Uh, it's regularly on TBS. So if you're like me and you grew up basically watching slightly edited movies on TBS and not realizing how much uh, you had missed it, so you finally saw the real one, uh, you can check that out. It's on Netflix. It's on Prime Video, iTunes Store. Uh, you've got all sorts of options. Um, Netflix, TBS, and Fubu are all included with your active subscription, and you can rent it on Prime, Microsoft, Google Play, iTunes, and Vudu for the requisite 399 dollars which has become the industry standard. So if you're looking for a great escape and uh, a fun throwback to a movie that doesn't feel like it was only 15 years ago, uh, but is will definitely distract you with some fun action sequences and some interesting and engaging performances even if besides the absurd plot points check out wanted uh on netflix today
0: nice nice and you truly did work in angelina jolie today
1: i did i did i know this is like we always talk about it being an angelina jolie podcast so i think i had to like one out of every 50 i have to do because we did tomb Raider before right yes so you know so one out of every 50 uh she has to be the main character i think that's that's our threshold so (laughs) check back in next july
0: (laughs) oh man all right well that is another episode of course um thank you so much for being with us and thank you you adam you had a i don't know if i'm supposed to say this or not but i'm gonna say it Hmm? you had a friend that said tell her she has a sexy voice probably not so much right now because my allergies and sinuses are acting up but i appreciate you and I thank you.
1: Oh, yeah. And I, I, I was actually totally jealous because this is the first person I ever a, had a crush on uh, when I was in grade school. And once again, actually like somebody else instead of me. So it's just a story of my life. <laughs> no, it's awesome. And it's, it's really cool to get the feedback uh, when anybody reaches out and says, hey, we were listening to this episode. Sometimes I get thrown off because someone will have just listened to an episode that we did months ago and be like, hey, I can't believe this happened. And I'm like, okay, rewind. <laughs> what are we talking about <laughs> uh but then it's like take a second they're like oh yeah that episode so much fun so yeah. it's great to get feedback like that um and yes uh clearly Brooke has a very sexy voice and you should probably uh, comment on that on all of our posts and things, because that'll give us a whole different uh, metric for the aggregators to get, uh, to get our attention. Uh, but if you want to listen to our episodes, go to a side, B side podcast.square.site. You can uh, subscribe to any of the services that we are on your stitchers, anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or all the links are on there. You can support us by checking out the merchandise page. You can buy Brooke a coffee by going to buy us a coffee. Uh, there are also links to all of our sources. Uh, so all of the reviews and things that I mentioned today, uh, Brooke's source material for the Midtown uh, slasher. Mauler, slasher. Why did I want to call him the mauler? Midtown slasher, uh, Mr. Joseph Christopher, uh, will be up there as well. Uh, and also we'll have links to uh, some other things that we have been at. Just recently this last week, we nice. were on... We were able to guest on a podcast called uh, Not Enough Props.
0: Shout out to uh, a friend of the podcast, Kevin Armstrong.
1: Absolutely. Uh, he, we've done a couple of things with him in the past with movie battles as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's always fun to uh, be able to do that stuff and kind of change things a little bit. Uh, we get to talk a lot during mm-hmm. the week, but it's fun to kind of have a different uh different opportunity to talk about things our episode was on on radio and our our experiences within that which i thought was uh, was really fun because we're in very different places uh very different paths but a lot of the same feelings about radio
0: yeah yeah it was awesome and we really appreciate you kevin and we appreciate you for listening and thank you so much for being with us for 103 episodes and we'll see you next week thanks adam
1: thank you bro